0: so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace
1: be with you. Friends, I want to tell you a tale of three kings for this final Sunday of Advent. I'm not talking about the Magi. (laughs) That'll come later. The three kings I'm talking about inhabit the very beginning, the middle, and the end of the biblical story. I'm talking about Adam, David, and Jesus. These three kings, I'm going to argue, are the interpretive key to the whole Bible. Look at the very first chapter now of the book of Genesis. You'll find this. God created man in his image. In the divine image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God bless them, saying, Be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that move on the earth. Okay, this great commission given to Adam. He's being given, if you want, a kingly mission, a mission of ruling, governing, and subduing, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, etc. Don't read this now as an invitation to aggression or domination in that negative sense. But rather a commission to have a sort of stewardship over the world. And mind you, Adam is made in the image of God as we hear. Well, who's God? God is love. God's a community of love. And therefore, this governance of the world, this dominion over the world, is meant to be an expression of love. Here's what it means, though Adam is humanity at its best, humanity as it was meant to be, turning the whole world into the Garden of Eden. Now, think of that image of the Garden of Eden, this beautiful place of harmony, and sustenance life what's adam's job what's humanity's job is to turn the whole world into such a place how by having dominion over the world see not domination but rather a sort of kingly lordship over the world so as to make the world a place of love to allow God's way now to obtain on the earth. That's the kingly task given to Adam and by extension to all humanity. Now what happened? And it sets the tone now for the whole biblical drama. Adam became a bad king. Think about it. By falling into sin, he falls out of the garden And his descendants, saddled with his sin, turned the world not into a garden of Eden, but into a place of violence, corruption, hatred, and fear. Adam should have had dominion over that serpent. Think now symbolically of the serpent in the garden. Adam as king should have had lordship over him, dominion over him, but he didn't. He allowed the serpent to have dominion over him. As a result, Eden is compromised, and the world becomes anything but a Garden of Eden. Okay, there's the first king and his great failure, and it sets up now the momentum of the biblical narrative. So what does God do in the wake of sin? He forms a rescue operation. He forms a people whom he trains now in his own way. This is what Israel means. A people trained to think as God thinks, to move as God moves, to have God's law now written in their hearts, to be a priestly people, but if I can extend this metaphor I've been using now, to be a sort of kingly people through whom the world would be set right, by whom the world would become a garden of Eden. Now, what happens to Israel? Well, we hear it, don't we, over and over again. Israel also fails in its kingship. It doesn't subdue what it should subdue. does not have dominion over what it should have dominion. It allows the power of sin to compromise it. Okay. After many centuries of preparation, the Lord gives this kingly people a particular king. Now, first Saul. I won't go into all those details. First Saul. But then when Saul fails, David. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that David is as central a figure as Adam. In many ways, David is a new Adam. A righteous king, listen, who would follow the word of the Lord, who would attend to the Lord's command, who would govern this priestly people aright, would in turn make the whole world into a Garden of Eden. Now, we hear that having subdued his enemies on every side, David resolved to build a temple for the Lord. Now, God said no to that. That task would be David's sons, uh, Solomon's. But then he made an extravagant promise to David, and that's now at the heart of our first reading for today. You want to build me a house, the Lord says to David. But in fact, I will build you a house this story now, it's found in the seventh chapter of 2 Samuel, is one of the most important texts in the whole Old Testament. In fact, it forms a kind of hinge upon which the biblical revelation turns. The kingship which Adam lost is now restored in David. In his rightly governed kingdom, Something of God's good order appears again on the earth. And the Lord promises now see, I'll build you a house. He promises that this reign of David would last forever. Listen, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me, your throne shall stand firm forever. Yahweh's found his king. Eden, in principle, has been reestablished in this Davidic Israel. And now the hope is, as this kingdom extends down through the ages, it will spread the Garden of Eden all over the world. Okay, that's the biblical idea from Adam to David. Now, what do we know about David after this great promise is made? Like Adam before him he sins. Like Israel before him, he sins. The great story of Bathsheba, Uriah. We won't go into all the details, but David rather dramatically falls from grace. He's not the king that God wants him to be. His kingly line, well, it lasted a long time, about 400 years. There's a Davidic king on the throne. But then... 587 B.C., the terrible Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem destroyed, the temple destroyed, the Israelites carried off to uh, exile in Babylon. With that, the Davidic line ended. The chaos and injustice and warfare that are the fruits of sin reasserted themselves. And thus, you know, friends, it must have appeared to many people That God's promise to David was false. Your throne will last forever. Well, it, it clearly didn't last forever. One of the strangest features, I think, of Israelite history is that continuing to hope against hope, certain Israelites still longed for that promise to be fulfilled, they still expected it to be fulfilled. Okay, so we've gone now from Adam to David, two kings, both compromised kings. And so God's reign has not been established. Now, flash forward about 500 years. Israel is still without a king. Now it's under the boot of a new oppressor, this time Rome. The world is still not properly ordered. The true king, the new Adam, is still only a dream. And at this point in salvation history, this climactic point, this central point, an angel, a denizen of heaven, pays a visit to a young Israelite girl from the little nothing town of Nazareth. And they have an extraordinary conversation. It's our gospel for today, isn't it? Importantly, we hear this young girl is... From the house of David, ah, ah, that house that God had promised to preserve forever. Yes, the Davidic kings had disappeared, but that house was still around, and this child now is from the house of David. The angel says to her, You found favor with God, and you will give birth to a son, and then this. We might miss this, but no first century Jew would have missed it. Listen, the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his reign will be without end. Ah, there it is. We thought the promise would be unfulfilled. We thought David's kingly house had faded away. But now we see through this angel that a new king will be born from that line and the promise is still valid his reign will be without end who's coming a new david which means a new adam this child would be the one who would finally bring god's good order to the world who would finally subdue the earth who would finally become the good steward of creation, who would restore the Garden of Eden, build the definitive Davidic kingdom. See, this is why on Luke's telling, we'll hear about it next week at Christmas, this child is proposed as a rival to the Emperor Augustus. The true king has come. Now see, friends, this little tour of Israelite history from Adam to David to Jesus, from king to king to king, is meant to help us understand the role and purpose of the church. See, because we are grafted on to this new Adam. We who are baptized are grafted on to this new David. We are members of the mystical body of Jesus. So what's our job? It's that kingly job, that, that kingly commission that was given to Adam, but Adam failed. Given to David, but David failed embodied now in Christ. And so we who are in Christ, we are called upon to subdue the earth, to have dominion. That means to bring the reign of love to every aspect of life. That's the message, the kingly message we receive
0: on this final Sunday of Advent. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four
1: years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at Catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at catholicismseries.com or call 1866-928-1237. That's 1866-928-1237.